0: Well, we're uh, continuing our series, Dear Church, uh, where we're looking at the seven churches in Revelation. Um, you may have noticed uh, that last week, the, the church, the, it was kind of a downer a little bit about what was, what was happening, but, but it actually was really relevant to what's happening today. And whether or not we're in the end of days, um, the fact of the matter is we are in a sea change in history, and it does look um, a, lot, a lot like we're, we're going to be experiencing some of the challenges the churches of Revelation experience and so today we're going to look at the church of Smyrna. Join me as we uh, read our text for, th- for today. And to so the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of the first and the last who is dead and came to life. I know your affliction and your poverty, even though you're rich. I know the slander on the part of those who say they are Jews but are not, but are instead a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Beware, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested, and for ten days you will be afflicted. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. That's a pretty intense text. Um, but I think more, now more than ever, we need to be confronted with this. And so let, let's, let's break it down a, a little bit. I know your affliction and your poverty, even though you are rich. Um, first thing to note here is that the, the word for poverty is p- uh, patokeia in Greek, and there's different words for for poverty in Greek. Uh, One word can mean, like, uh, of humble means, right? This is not that word. Another word, this one can mean, uh, like, you're on the verge of starvation because you don't know where your next meal is coming from, and that is the word that Jesus uses for the church in Smyrna. We're going to see why in a second, but the church in Smyrna has been completely excluded from the general life of the city, and as a result, they are literally on the brink of starvation. They, they have almost nothing in terms of physical possessions. And yet, Jesus says, you are rich. Now, I know this is true, but it's something that I really struggle with i 've been to Haiti uh, four or five times. Um, I got a picture here of uh, some of our friends in Haiti, uh, Doug in the middle, looking cool. Um, oh, is there a small Tory up in the top right Oh that's cute um, what, the, the weirdest thing when you go to Haiti is that the people are literally living hand to mouth um, <clears throat> and yet. It's unreal how joyful they are. Now me, I'm a cynic, and so when I, when I go there, my, my internal monologue is something like, this place is a disaster, there's no hope, I can't wait to go home. And yet, if you were to ask me, who are the most joyful people that I know in the Lord, I would say these brothers and sisters... That Travai Bonje, Mike and Carrie's kids, I mean, I, that's who I'd say, and they have nothing. And so there's this, this weird irony, right, where it's like, that's their reality, and yet, I wouldn't want anything to do with it. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would not want to give up anything that I have here in the United States, in the First World West, um, to, to I would not want to trade places with them, and yet, I am utterly convinced that they have something I don't. And I think this is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking to the Church of Smyrna. When people are on the edge, it is much easier in some ways for them to have joy in the Lord. The more we have, the more comfortable we get, the less likely we are to experience God's joy. Why? Why? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, Rice and beans, that's the first one. Uh, If you go to Haiti, you'll find out that they eat the same thing every day. Uh, Next slide, Marilyn. Uh, every single day, it's rice and beans for three meals a day. Uh, and when the when when the, when the the, the the saviors from America come, like one or two days, they'll like they'll spend a little extra money and give us chicken because we like that. And we don't we don't eat any of the food at the the orphanage uh, because it's gross. We wait until we get back to the hotel where they have you know something that's a little bit better. It's not really any good, but at least doesn't give you um, loose bowels. Okay. When you are... When, and, and, and the thing is, they love it. They're, like, it's the craziest thing. They're so happy. And, and I'm like, uh, I don't know how to do it. But I think part of it is, is that they are in, in this place where they are constantly depending on God for stuff. And not just like... I mean, we're now depending on God for gasoline. Uh, because, so we're starting to feel a little bit like the people in Haiti. Uh, but they, they depend on God for, for just the basic calories to survive. And so when they see provision, they're like, wow, this is truly a miracle. When you're um, in, the, when you're in the, the global south or you're in a, in a community that's, um, that's, that's deprived, uh, one of the things that, that's very real to you is the need for forgiveness. Um, we actually, by having a lot of stuff where, and being comfortable, we're able to paper over a lot of the ways that we hurt each other, the, the things that we do that are wrong, um, and, and as a result, we—we, it's—it's hard for us sometimes to really understand the value and the and the amazingness of forgiveness, of being able to let go. I mean, when you're with the people in Haiti, they are dealing with, on a regular basis, um, violence, rape, theft, uh, things that for the most of us, those aren't a part of our normal lives, and for. For the community to to work, forgiveness is incredibly powerful. And for God to be able to forgive is something where they're like, wow, God gave His only Son so that that even though I'm making these mistakes, even though I'm trapped in this crazy life, there's hope. In the bottom right, I have, uh, you know, the beauty and the beast. True love. That's uh, what Americans believe life is about. It's about finding true love. Um, you know, you got the beast there. He's a, he's monstrous, but he has a heart of gold, and uh, and Bell finds, him. and then the two of them come together, and that's what life is really all about, isn't it? It's finding your soulmate and uh, being in love forever. That's actually a luxury. Uh, if you're aware of human history, you know that falling in love was uh, very low on the priority list for most human beings throughout history, uh, because it's a luxury. It's a luxury only available to the, the, the extremely wealthy. And even for them, most of the time, it's not available. Uh, falling in love is it's awesome, but it's certainly not uh, for everyone. and certainly not for uh, anybody who's not extremely elite in world history. And yet, for us, we assume that the good life is falling in love. One of the reasons is when you don't have resources, when you don't know where your next meal is coming from, you're probably not doing a lot of family planning. You're probably not being like, oh, man, i got to find the one um, and have a whole bunch of kids. That's just not the reality for the people who don't have stuff. Instead, for them, it's not finding someone who knows them and and is known. That's God's job. God is the one who knows us deeply. God is the one who loves us unconditionally. Uh, Our friends in Haiti, they know this deeply because they know that they... There aren't a lot of opportunities out there, and yet God in his in His glory uh, makes it possible that they can be truly and deeply loved regardless of where they come from, what they do. Last one in the middle there, it's Lombard Street in San Francisco. The, it's that curvy, crazy street um, that's in movies a lot. By the way, if uh, you go back and watch uh, The Rock again, oh yeah, there's an awesome scene where like... Uh, There's like a bus that goes down Lombard Street. It's it's, it's really rad. You should check it out. Um, When you're uh, in in an environment, like the people of Smyrna, like our friends in Haiti, where things are so corrupt, so twisted, there is something unbelievably compelling about about seeing it made straight, seeing it made right. When you're in a world that is so deeply evil and corrupt, when you see God use you to be his hands and feet, to be a part of the straightening, there's a sense of, a sense of peace, a sense of joy that... Um, well, just to see God's will being done, his kingdom being built, and you being a part of it. This is why I'm so desperate for you to come and hear Ray uh, today in the barn. It's why I'm so excited about some we got some potential uh, projects we're coming up with, with uh, ways to serve. God willing, we're going to be able to go to Mexico and build a church for some brothers and sisters there. Those are the kinds of things where you have this awesome opportunity to be a part of the twisted being made straight. And that is where real—that's real wealth, right? The love of God is real wealth. Forgiveness is real wealth. Provision and dependence, that's real wealth. The, 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 the crooked being made straight, that's real wealth. And I believe that, but I still have a hard time giving things away. Nevertheless, uh, this is the first thing you know, cheats: um, real, lasting, uh, satisfying wealth. Real, lasting, satisfying wealth is only found in Jesus. Jesus is the one who truly loves. Jesus is the one who makes the crooked straight. Let's go on. Okay, let's, let's say that's the truth about Smyrna. Uh, what's going on with them? I know the slander on the part of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Uh, What was happening in in the Roman Empire was that there's groups of Jewish people who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. And so anyone that they saw embracing Jesus as the Messiah, they saw as blasphemers, as as God-haters. And so they actually spent a lot of their time um, trying to sabotage the church. And so they would tell lies... About the church, not every uh, Jew, not every Jewish synagogue is a synagogue of Satan. By the way, it's a synagogue of Satan is reserved for those um, who are actively trying to destroy the church. And uh, these people were what were they? What were they slandering about Christians? Uh, the first thing is uh, we we know this. We have a long history of this. We know that uh, they they said that Christians uh, were committing incest, uh, which was horrible in the ancient world. Next slide, Marilyn. Uh, incest, uh, because what they, they noticed is that all the Christians would call each other brother and sister. Uh huh. And so they noticed that the Christians would uh, marry each other, generally speaking. And so they were like, wait, you're marrying your sister? And the Christians were like, yep. And so they were like, oh, oh, oh you should tell the Roman authorities about that. They'll love this. Um, they also uh, accused Christians of being cannibals because uh, once, twice, three times a week, Christians would gather together for a love feast where they did what? They ate the body of the Lord and drank his blood. <laughs> and so the Jewish people were like, oh, dude, so you're telling me that you eat Jesus' body and drink his blood? The Christians were like, yeah. And they were like, okay. And so they started, they started telling the Roman authorities, like, there's this crazy new sect out there. <laughs> they're cannibals, and they're committing incest. Uh, even worse, um, at the time, uh, you, when you baptized, you would often baptize your entire family at the same time. And uh, early churches used, probably, we know from some of our ancient texts, immersion. So uh, it would happen that probably uh, small children were dunked. And so the Jews were like, are you drowning kids? Wow, that's, that's pretty rough, man. And so they informed the Roman authorities, not only are they committing incest, not only cannibalism, and they're also committing infanticide. Okay, that's pretty intense. That's hardcore. Uh, by the way, uh, is Ke- Keegan's not here? Keegan, Keegan, where are you? Hey, buddy, uh, we're, I, I'm, we're trying to get you scheduled for baptism. But uh, by the way, think about May 1st. Just think about it. Just look at it, okay? Uh, and buddy, I promise you, when you go down, you will come up. <laughs> well, thank God that can never happen any, any, anymore, that, that no one would ever slander Christians uh, like that. But that is exactly what the people in Smyrna were, were experiencing. Uh, check this out. This is from 2018. The uh, Scottish government um, the, the Scottish, I think it was like uh, the Public Health Administration or something like that, they were upset about the hate that Christians were, were causing. And so they, they put these signs up at um, bus stops and train stations. They, it reads, Dear bigots, you can't sp- spread your religious hate here. End of sermon. And then you can't see it, but at the bottom it says, Yours, Scotland. That's cool. On the left, you can't read it, but it, it reads like this. Dear bigots, division seems to be what you believe in. We don't want your religious hate on our buses, on our streets, and in our communities. We don't want you spreading your intolerance or making people's lives a misery because of their religious dress, meaning faith. You may not have faith and respect and love, but we do. That's why if we see, see or hear your hate, we're reporting you. End of sermon. Yours, Scotland. Hate crime. Report it to stop it. The people responsible did get in trouble, by the way. <laughs> uh, people were like, wait, what? And, and I, I, I wonder if maybe it's because maybe they'd never been to an actual church. Maybe they, what they knew about Christians was something they saw on like, the news with that, those crazy Westboro Baptist people who, like I don't know, picket funerals for, for gay people. I mean, I, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know what their experience of Christians is, but gosh, it doesn't seem like anyone I know. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's, if there's one person here that I think is a bigot. In fact, the people who are here are actually really loving and kind. Um, and yeah, I mean, not, not that we don't maybe have disagreements with, uh, with the world about, you know, the proper end of, you know, sex and gender, stuff like that. Um, but wow, does this seem, do you, you guys seem that hateful? Maybe what's going on is um, there's people who uh, are virulently anti-Christian. And maybe what they're doing is they're slandering us with the end, maybe, of putting us in jail. You notice know, what Jesus says too, right? He says, and when, they, and when they slander you, you go to them and you fight them and you burn down their houses and you retaliate. That's what Jesus says, right? No. Jesus says you're going to endure it. It's the next thing in your note sheets. You will be slandered, but they won't win. That's critical. They won't win. Notice uh, what Jesus says... Um, about their affliction, about what's coming. You're going to be lied about. Yes, the Roman authorities are going to bring you in and say, are you really committing incest and infanticide and all those things? And and your job is to tell them the truth, like say no. And so what's going to happen? Look uh, back at the text. Notice you're going to go in for uh, don't fear about your suffering. You're going to get in prison for 10 days. That's probably a euphemism, meaning like a short but limited period of time. Um, so you're, you're not—this— this is gonna. This is not gonna be good. But once they realize that you're not what the slanderers say you are, uh, they're gonna let you go. Um, and that's why uh, the, I don't love the translation here. Be faithful until death. The Greek can mean be faithful up to death or up to the point of death. Because what's gonna happen is you're gonna go in before these Romans, and they're gonna be like, "Listen, if we find out that you've been committing these evil acts, we are going to execute you." And so the job of the Christian is is to is to stand firm and to say. In the face of that, I'm not going to deny what I believe, even if it comes to that. For the church in Smyrna, it probably didn't. We don't have, um, we don't have uh, lists of martyrs from the church in Smyrna. It seems that they, they, were, they were jailed, they were oppressed, they were poor, but they weren't actually put to death. Nevertheless, uh, Jesus says, uh, he, he describes himself, I'm the one who was dead and came to life. If you have the guts, you stick to your guns, you're faithful to the point of death, you're you're staring death in the face and you don't flinch, I'm going to give you the crown of life. That uh, When when you said dead and and came to life. Well, Jesus is the first one who, who who is dead and then came to glory. Not just regular human life, but glorified life. The life of the heavens. That's the resurrected Lord. And that's the life that we're promised. When you hear life, you think glory. Be faithful up to the point of death and I will give you the crown of glory. Everlasting glory. We know that's what it means because uh, the crown there, that's Stephanos in in Greek. It's the, it's the, the wreath of the victor, of the uh, Olympic victor. I have a picture here of uh, Julius Caesar. Uh, Tradition has it that when Caesar entered Rome after his, his uh, victories in Gaul, uh, that he was wearing the laurel crown, indicating that he was the one who had, had conquered. He was the one who was great. That's what uh, that crown meant. And notice, it's a laurel crown, so it, it, it goes away. It dies at a certain point. Um, the, the leaves fail. But what it symbolizes is greatness, glory, conquering. Recently, I feel like we, we got a picture of that uh, in the Super Bowl when, uh, when the Rams won. Uh, you remember this? This is the very end of the game. Aaron Donald, who uh, is you know the greatest pass rusher of his generation, but never had a ring. Um, and he 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 ends the game right. He has that big sack at the end where he stops the, And as he gets up, he goes like this. He points. I finally got it, the ring. And then uh, that's that other picture is from the 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 victory parade right when he's he's holding up the Super Bowl trophy. Why did it matter so much to Aaron Donald? Well, because for years, people had been whispering in his ear. Maybe his own heart had been telling him, is it worth it? Dude, you already have like a multi-million dollar contract. All you have to do is just keep sacking people. Do you really need to work this hard to go for this one thing? Like, the chances of you actually getting it, pretty low. All the haters are saying, give up. Aaron Donald said no. And so that ring, that ring is vindication. That ring says, I am who I thought I was. I did accomplish what needed to be accomplished. The, the, The haters were wrong. In my moments of doubt, I was wrong. But it's something else too. When Aaron Donald wears that ring, and he goes into a restaurant or Disneyland or whatever, even if you don't know who Aaron Donald is, when you see that ring, you know who he is. He's one of an incredibly elite few hundreds, maybe a thousand or two, human beings in the history of the world wear a ring like that. It means you're the best of the best, that no one can hold a candle to you. You are elite of the elite. And, and, and the person who's looking at that says, I will never be in the club you're in. You will always be greater than me, at least in the realm of football. That ring says... Glory, And Jesus is promising that same ring, that same glory to anybody, any Christian who stands up heroically, endures the lies about them, takes on the suffering, who sticks to their guns and says, I'm not quitting, even if it really comes right up to it. The last thing in your notes. Jesus rewards heroic endurance with a crown that lasts forever. And this truth really means that when that when you do this in heaven, in forever, for eternity, people will walk around and they will be looking at you and they will say, Wow. You're in a club that I'm not a part of. You did something I didn't. If anybody here in this church, for whatever reason, uh, you know, your, your colleagues at work or whatever, um, that your community, if they, if they start to single you out and slander you, um, if they decide that you're whatever, I want you to understand something about this church we will have your back. If anybody here is persecuted over their character, if they're lied about, if they're smeared, if you're in, in danger of losing your livelihood, this church has your back. Nobody falls to the cracks. You may not know this, but uh, Lou there, Lou Gutierrez was the assistant to the chief the sheriff. And for a while, people tried to start lying about him. I remember uh, Lou came to me and he said, ah, Do you want me to resign from the elder board? I don't want to bring any shade to the church. He said that to all the elders. The elders in unison were like, Listen, we know you, and we know that you are a man of honor, and we will back you to the hilt, and we will never be ashamed of you. If anybody here comes under assault from the world, this place has your back. We have your back. We will not quit on you, just as Jesus has not quit on us. So do not be afraid of the afflictions that you will suffer. They will put you in prison for just 10 days, but if you're faithful to the point of death, if you stick to your guns, you will have the crown of life and glory forever. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for the heroes at Smyrna who though we are separated by 2,000 years, we are united to in the Spirit. We thank you for their joy and riches in poverty, their example of endurance in the midst of affliction and slander. God, may we be a people who are prepared to endure the slings and arrows of the world may we have confidence that when all else fails your spirit will enliven the church to surround us and that we as a community may endure faithfully and if it's your will that we should receive glory forever in the crown of life Gracious God and Father, we're your servants. And we ask you for the courage to be your people. Come with me. In Jesus' name we pray.